Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today, uh, on this Wednesday episode, we're going to talk about the relationship between Scripture and tradition. It's a very important conversation for us to have as Protestants and to understand rightly, rightly. We're going to talk about that today. So let's just go ahead and jump in. You know, even though the doctrine of justification and the attendant issues of the sufficiency of God's grace and the work of Christ are the issues around which the Reformation was centered, the underlying debate that was reflected both consciously and unconsciously in the controversy had to do with the source of authority. Is Scripture the final authority for faith and practice that alone can bind the conscience of the Christian, or is there another source of authority equal to or above Scripture? Martin Luther's defense of sola fide by faith alone was it was based on the premise that the Bible um, is the sole infallible, that is, without uh, the possibility of error, source of divine revelation. And it was his refusal to grant such authority to popes and the church councils that really got him into trouble. Well, Rome, on the other hand, appealed to Scripture and to the living tradition of the church, the unwritten teachings based on uh, orally from the apostles down through the bishops and, and interpreted by the Roman Catholic magisterium, the teaching officers of the church. Well, the doctrine of justification uh, of the Roman Catholic Church then and now, it's grounded in the work of penance, the, the treasury of merit, and the other elements established in tradition. In fact, according to Rome's official pronouncements, these unwritten traditions are equal in authority to the Bible. Paragraph 44 of the current Catechism of the Catholic Church states this, Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. And so in practice, however, it is the church that has the final infallible authority in this scheme. Its interpretations of the faith are binding even when they're unfounded in the Bible. Well, Jesus makes it clear in Mark 7, 9 that to violate the word of God for the sake of tradition of men is always wrong. And so Protestants assert sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the final authority for the church. And church traditions, such uh, as are found in the creeds, the writing of important church leaders, they do not lack authority altogether and can guide our understanding of Scripture. For example, Luther and Calvin uh, both cited Augustine regularly in their teachings, but you see, Scripture always wins out when it conflicts with tradition. We must be ever vigilant when we abandon the principle of sola scriptura. You see, to say that a passage in Scripture is not true because we do not understand or even agree with it is to violate Scripture's final authority. Legalism is the imposition of extra-biblical rules upon God's people. Likewise, evidences the refusal to recognize the ultimate authority of the Bible. And when we do not obey 
obey the word of God, we are saying that scripture has no authority over the over us. You know, it's it's one of those moments we wish we could have seen firsthand. It it took place in the square before the water gate at daybreak. Ezra brought out the law. He unrolled the scroll and he began reading and he kept reading until noon. All the while the great crowd gave their rapt attention. The law was read, interpreted, and studied. Uh, Nehemiah 8, which records the event, it also tells us that the that this Bible study session re- resulted in worship. The people were humbled and their faces looked to the ground. They bowed before God as he re- revealed himself in his holy word. Th- this event from the Old Testament is a precedenting setting moment. God's people gather together. They hear God's word read. They hear God's word interpreted and taught and they respond in worship. This is how it's supposed to be. As the decades pass and the generations come and go, God's word sadly recedes from the center of his people's lives and from the prominence in his congregation. And the Old Testament prophets, they spoke of a famine of the word of God. And so as we look through the pages of the Bible and through church history, we find such times of famine. And one of the severest of these times of famine came on the eve of the Reformation. Martin Luther originally launched his his protest against the church over the issue of indulgences. He wanted a debate. And while he was involved in various disputations in the wake of the posting of the 95 Thesis, he finally got a real and a true debate at Leipzig. And over the the summer months, Luther squared off with Johann Eck, Rome's premier theologian. Over the course of the debate, Luther declared the Reformation plank of Sola Scriptura, the firm and unwavering commitment to the absolute authority of Scripture. In fact, Luther's writings and the reports of these debates uh, convinced uh, Pope Leo X that this German monk was a heretic. Uh, the, de- the date and the time was set for the ultimate showdown, April 17th through the 18th, uh, 1521 at the Imperial Diet or meeting at Worms. And Worms is another one of those moments that we all wish we could have seen firsthand. Luther, adorned in his simple monk's garb, stood before and against princes and nobles, cardinals and priests all wearing the trappings of their offices. And on the throne sat the 21-year-old Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. Luther's books were spread out on a table before him. He was commanded revoco to recant his writings, to recant his views on sola fides, faith alone as the instrument of justification and of sola scriptura, scripture alone. That was April 17th. Now, Luther asked for a day to consider and he was granted it. He spent the night in prayer and, and appeared again the next day and then he delivered this famous speech. I am bound to the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. That moment led to one more moment that that would have been wonderful to see firsthand. Actually, it wasn't a moment. It was a few months later as Luther was holed up in the Wartburg Castle overlooking the town of Einish. And there he translated the Greek New Testament into German, and there, in, in the midst of his modest study, he wrote a series of sermons called the Church Apostles. And the New Testament is, of course, the, the Word of God, but the Church Apostles are a series of sermons that expound the Word of God. The Word of God, it needs to be proclaimed, but the Word of God also needs to be interpreted and taught. Ezra set the precedent in Nehemiah 8. Luther was not doing anything new. In fact, he was doing something very old. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone may be considered a, a Reformation plank, but also more accurately, it's a it's a biblical one. It's a fruitful one. However, to consider how the reformers thought 
of, of Sola Scriptura, we, we see this best in the way that Luther responded to his critics. In fact, one of the, the criticism that Luther's faced often was this. You have thrown away 1,500 years of church history. And the second criticism was this. You have thrown away the church. By claiming that your conscience is captive to the word of God, you need neither tradition nor the church. You need not bother with the communion of the saints through the centuries or even now. Now, Luther was, was never one to back down from a fight. And so he took these criticisms head on and dealt with them. Before we look at his criticisms, uh, it's important to see how some people who profess sola scriptura justify these objections. In fact, some contemporary evangelicals take sola scriptura to mean that they do not need teachers and, and so they therefore can jettison 2,000 years of church history. But you see, the affirmation of sola scriptura by Luther and the other reformers was not a call for radical individualism or even the rejection of church authority. In fact, one text that's helpful here is Luther's on the councils and the church. And in, in this text from 1539, Luther responds to two decades of criticism. And one of the things he points out is the value of church history, the value of healthy tradition, and the value of councils. It's a mistake to think that Luther thought so highly of his own views that he totally disregarded the views of others. While not elevating tradition to the position of final authority, he did see it as necessary, as helpful, even, a, a, even instructive. Tradition to the reformers is a fallible authority unlike scripture which is an infallible authority which means that it's without the possibility of error now paul tells timothy to train faithful men who will be able to teach others these are men entrusted with the deposit of faith men who are trustworthy they, they are to be trained by timothy who was trained by paul and they in turn train others the word paul uses in second timothy uh, 2 2 translate as entrusted it means to hand over as if you're passing on an inheritance. In fact, the word in the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Bible, uh, is the one from which we get the English word tradition. There is such a thing as healthy tradition. In fact, there's, there's such a thing as an unhealthy tradition. Luther points to a clear sign of an unhealthy tradition. They exalt the externals, the forms, over internal realities, and ultimately over Christ himself. In fact, this happened among the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the first century. It happened in the 16th century. It happens in our day today. A tradition is only healthy to the extent that it supports the, the centrality and the prominence of the Word of God. Creeds do this. The Orthodox teaching of the church councils and, and the reformers do this. A healthy tradition exalts Christ, the gospel, and sound doctrine. Unhealthy traditions do not. In fact, Luther had a place for tradition, and he also firmly believed in teachers. The New Testament sang the office of teacher. Yes, our, our consciences are held captive to the word of God. And because of that, God has given us teachers to help us understand his word, to love his word, and to live out his word in our lives. In fact, as a part of the communion of the saints, we are not isolated from tradition or from the church. Uh, it, you see, it's sola scriptura. The Bible is the only infallible final authority. Not sola scriptura. The Bible is the only authority. You see, to a Firm sola scriptura is to understand the Bible's authority well 
and to understand it as the reformers did. You see, Scripture is our only inerrant without error and infallible without the possibility of error, authority for faith and life. It is God's word. It is God-breathed. And therefore, we must obey it. We must strive not to see it displaced and cast aside, but to see it placed at at the center of all that we do. In fact, we can look back at moments when the word of God was given its proper place. It it happened among the exiles upon their return to Jerusalem, as recorded in Nehemiah 8. It happened in the 16th century. Let us not lament that, that we did not see these moments firsthand. Instead, let us pray for our own moments when we put God's word at the center, and when we broadcast God's word, and when we see it at work. Now, there was no controversy, to be clear, between Martin Luther and Rome concerning the inspiration of Scripture. In fact, today, much of the mainline Protestant and even Roman Catholic biblical and theological scholarship would have been regarded by the medieval church as apostate with regard to its view on the Scripture. The Scriptures, both sides held, are without error. The Council of Trent, the the condemnation of the Reformation position, went so far as to say the Spirit dictated the very words to the apostles. And so the the real question, it has to do with the relationship of inspired scripture to tradition. In, in other words, is scripture alone God's inspired and inerrant word, the source and the norm for faith and practice? Could the Pope say truly that his, his words are equal to those of Peter and Paul as we find them in scripture? Are, are councils infallible in the same way as scripture? Well, the Council of Trent, a Catholic document, it, it argued that scripture and tradition are the two streams that form one river of God's word. This word consisted not only of the written books, but also of the unwritten traditions to them that, that of course, the, the Roman pontiff has the privilege of determining. And so both scripture and these traditions, the church receives and venerates with an equal affection a piety and reverence as both have been preserved in the Catholic church by a continuous succession. And so wh- whatever the Pope teaches or commands that's ex cathedra from the chair, even if it's not based on Scripture, it's to be believed by all Christians everywhere as necessary for uh, salvation. Now, Luther's defense of, of sola scriptura it was condemned as schematic, but but the ancient fathers, both in the East and in the West, would have regarded the pretensions of the Roman bishop as an act of separation or schism from the apostolic faith. And long before the Reformation, highly esteemed theologians argued that Scripture alone is normative and that the councils simply interpret Scripture. And these interpretations, which may be wrong and amended by further reflection, are to be submitted to by the Pope itself. In fact, until the Council of Trent's condemnation of the Reformation teaching, this was an open question. Luther was not the first to argue for Scripture's unique authority even over the Pope. In fact, after Trent, though, the door was slammed shut on sola scriptura within the Roman Catholic faith. Luther's problem with the papal church was its corruption of scriptural faith by the addition of myriad of doctrines, practice, rituals, sacraments, and ceremonies. Medieval popes increasingly held 
that they alone were endowed with the Holy Spirit in such a way as to be preserved from error in their judgments. Uh, of course, this, this idea was not founded in the scriptures, nowhere in the Bible, or in the teaching of the ancient fathers. It, it was an innovation that opened the floodgates to a torrent of novelties, Luther argued, saying this. When the teaching of popes is distinguished from that of Holy Scripture or is compared with them, it, it becomes apparent that at best the teaching of the pope ha- has been taken in from the imperial pagan laws and is a teaching concerning secular transactions and judgments as the papal uh, decrees show. And, and in keeping with such teaching, instructions are given concerning the ceremonies of the of the churches, the vestments, the food, the personnel, and countless other uh, pillaries, fantasies, and follies without so much as a mention of Christ's faith and God's commandments. So how do we adjudicate between truth and error? What if a pope errs as some medieval councils had in fact declared? And so indeed the the, the 14th and the early 15th centuries saw that, that the schism between the two and eventually the three rival popes each claiming St. Peter's throne and excommunicating the others along with their followers. And the Council of Constance ended this uh, this comedy, if you will, by electing a fourth pope to replace the other three. Now, Philip Melanchthon's uh, treatise on the power and the primacy of the pope built on Luther's views by drawing together a battery of refutations from scripture and also from church history to demonstrate uh, the the shifting sand upon which the papacy was built. For for Luther, the first plank of sola scriptura is scripture alone. As the Holy Spirit directs revelation through the prophets and the apostles, scripture is in a class by itself. The character of God is at stake in the character of scripture. And why is scripture's inerrancy important? Well, Luther says, because we know that God does not lie. My neighbor and I, in short, all men may err and deceive, but God's word cannot err, he says. And, and we respect the church fathers and the ancient councils as gods, but only God can establish articles of faith. Luther says this, it will, it will not do to make articles of faith out of the Holy Father's words or works. Otherwise, what, what they ate and how they dressed and what kind of houses they lived in would, would also have to become articles of faith, as has happened in the case of relics. This means that the word of God shall establish articles of faith and no one else, not even an angel. Now, the second plank is the clarity of scripture, which was really the heart of the dispute. Uh, The Bible is a dark, mysterious, and obscure book the medieval church taught. No wonder Luther thought as he looked back on what he'd been taught, even as a monk and a Bible scholar. But after having studied and translated the Bible for many years, he came to the opposite conclusion. By their own experience, Luther and the other reformers came to see that scripture is clear on its central teachings. It is the papal church that obscures rather than clarifies. This is what frustrated Luther the most about Erasmus. He seemed to think that scripture is clear about how we're to live, but obscure about the most central doctrines of the gospel. In fact, in his freedom of the will, Erasmus alternates between the vehement opposition to Luther's teaching and a passive assertion that such doctrines, such as predestination and free will, are obscure in scripture. They're unimportant. Important, in other words, for daily living. Erasmus much 
uh, preferred origin, a defender of free will, um, and an early church father over Augustine. And in fact, he went so far as to conclude concerning Augustine's position on grace and free will, saying this, what a window to impiety would be the public avowal of such an opinion open to countless mortals. But, he says, if scripture is so clear, why do we have so many outstanding men in so many centuries, even blind and in a matter of such importance as those that would appear? If there is no obscurity in scripture, what do we need of the work of prophecy in the days of the apostles, he says. But who succeeded the apostles, he asked, assuming, of course, that the Pope is Peter's successor. And Luther began his response on the bondage of the will by tackling Erasmus' denial of scripture's clarity in its central teachings. Now, we need to say that not everything is equally clear in scripture, but when it comes to election, to free will, to justification, its clarity is obscured only by human and especially papal ignorance. Don't blame the sun for your lack of sight, he rebuked, Luther rebuked. Let the wretched man cease to impute with blasphemous perversions, the darkness and the obscurity of their own heart to the all clear scriptures of God. In short, Luther counseled, if you do not understand this or are not concerned about it, then mind your own affairs and let those understand and be concerned about it whom God has laid the charge. And so the clarity of scripture, this is why Luther wrote the small catechism to instruct children and new believers in in, Bi- in the Bible's basic teaching. In fact, the economical creeds in the new Osberg Confession, as well as Luther's small and large catechism, these were examples of the fact that the church has been able to arrive at a consensus about the central teachings of scripture without the Pope's intervention. Well, y- today we are seeing and, and this is a big conversation um, that, that we're going to have here soon with uh, Dr. Greg Allison, who is an expert on matters related to uh, Roman Catholicism. Um, but but the, the, the big thing is, is that there are many Protestants who are wrongly leaving uh, the Protestant church for Catholicism because what they don't understand is that, or, or, or they're not being taught rightly about sola scriptura and the relationship between this scripture and tradition. You see, we as Christians, we have, uh, Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we, God has given us pastor teachers, and he tells us in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 what the purpose of them is. It's, it's to help us to learn to rightly handle the word of God. So the church is God has given us teachers to learn to rightly handle the word of God. Now, we need to say that, uh, you know, we need to be Bereans. We need to search the scriptures to see what we're taught. But the the, the problem is, is that people today are misunderstanding the, the relationship between sola scriptura and tradition. And that's why we have people leaving the Protestant church. Now, what do we do about this? We need to rightly stress that as Protestants, we are not against tradition. We're not against tradition. We, we've talked extensively about that today. We're going to talk even more about it in the coming days. And the reason is, 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 is the church has, we, we can say this, the church has good answers in church history to the issues of the day. Uh, for example, about the person and the, and the work of Christ, we go to Nicaea and Chalcedon, and we, we see how the church responded to, to air regarding the person and the work of, of Jesus and even the formation of the of the Bible and, and other matters. And, and how does that help us today? It helps us to respond uh, to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who claim extra-biblical revelation. Uh, they have 
have a misunder they they don't do not have a correct understanding of uh of the person and work of Jesus just like the Catholic Church about the Bible and 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 but scripture to be clear is our final authority so so it, we we teach the scriptures we 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 know we open them we teach through books of the bible we call that expository teaching but we're not against using uh, we're not against the study of church history and this is so important because we have people in the protestant church who today are leaving leaving being a protestant because what they would rather have and they say this they would rather have a tradition rich faith now now here's the thing that is actually wrong that is actually wrong the, the reformers would be extremely upset men like calvin and and luther and even spurgeon and and owen and edwards and and more because what they saw is just being biblical and following what not only what the the bible teaches but also uh listening to and learning from what the church has taught on a variety of subjects and teaching in accord with biblical orthodoxy both what scripture teaches and what the church has taught now we need to be clear again so and i want to be clear so that there's no confusion our ultimate authority is the word of god it is that is the the sole basis for our faith and for our practice and 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 we need to understand that rightly but the role of tradition is good in that we can learn from what other men like augustine and calvin and luther and those things we we don't have to agree with their fallible interpretations but we need to understand that you know after the after you know scripture was formed after the apostles died you had men like Justin Martyr, uh, pretty much right after the apostles died, uh, starting to do apologetics and and theology and 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 the early church fathers as well. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to take uh, what was biblical, what what was in the Word of God, and they were aiming to explain it to people in an understandable way. Uh, to to be able to reach them and the people surrounding them, and so this is so so important. It's it's a it's it's, it's it gets kind of complicated, but the the uncomplicated part of it is is that here's the thing: we have a word from God, and we have teachers that have gone before us who have taught the word of God, and so what we mean is is that we don't have to reject. Uh, the the play the the value of tradition we call this even historical theology we don't reject historical theology we don't reject what the church has taught however our first and our primary allegiance is to the word of god and we can learn from other men like you know augustine and and justin martyr and and others and but we submit their teaching uh to scripture as as paul says in fact in fact paul commended right the bereans in Acts 17 for this reason they searched the scripture to see if these things were so uh the thessalonians were commended uh for receiving the word of god with gladness so we we believe the scriptures we examine what other people say but we don't reject the place of tradition instead we seek to study uh to see how 
you know, theology came into being, how uh, a topic, how the church has uh, uh, sought to understand that topic from the scripture. Because here's the thing that we today, we have good answers uh, to the issues of the day, but we have to go back. We have to understand the relationship between scripture and tradition because too many people are rejecting the place of tradition. And if you reject, uh, if you reject the the place of tradition, you reject the, the the good answers that the church has. You you think that you have to reinvent the wheel, and that's that's not right. That that's not what the church has done. The church has taught the word faithfully and and sought to be faithful to scripture and so we need to rightly understand the relationship between scripture and tradition and so i hope that this episode is helpful to that end and uh we're, we're definitely going to be talking about this more in the coming days so i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the equipping you in grace podcast until next time may the lord richly bless you and keep you Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.